0: What's up, everybody? I'm Brian Barrett, former Boston sports radio guy and now host of the new ringer show Off the Pike that'll cover your favorite Boston teams and stories from Fenway to Foxborough to the Garden and beyond. We're reacting to all the biggest games and moments with episodes at least three times a week featuring myself and some of your favorite guests at the ringer and in the city. Plus, if the Celtics or the Pats make a surprise trade, if the Red Sox going to run, or if any news breaks, we'll drop bonus instant reaction episodes, too, so you're always up to date with the latest chatter. Get in on the action and follow off the pike with me, Brian Barrett, now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy
1: team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer, availability and eligibility may vary.
0: This episode is brought to you by Lululemon.
1: Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day. I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little Welcome to Extra Point Taken. I'm Shil Kapadia, as always, joined by Ben Solak after Monday Night Football, where the 49ers handed it to the Rams 24-9 in an NFC West showdown. Hopefully you know the format by now. We each fire off three takes apiece, and then today Ben is hitting us with the extra point. We don't know what each other's takes are, and we just react on the fly. Man, you're looking good. How are we doing?
0: I'm doing well. I uh, I always enjoy a Niners Rams game because it's always McVeigh Shanahan, and it always feels like there's like 19 critical takeaways from that, even though probably there aren't. It does feel like that rivalry's been like defining of the last few years.
1: Well, you're leading us off, so what is your what is your big takeaway from the 49ers win tonight?
0: My big takeaway is that while it will be a year too late, D'Amico Ryan's got to be a head coach in 2023. At this point. I don't understand what a defensive coordinator can do and still not get hired. D'Amico should have been a head coach last year. He he did have multiple interviews. He denied the opportunity to interview with the Vikings a second time. He was big on the Vikings list, so very clearly kind of trying to find his spot. And so it's kind of a tricky prediction because D'Amico might just decide that he doesn't want to go to any of these teams. He seems willing to be patient. He's only six years into coaching, right? D'Amico Ryan's was a defensive assistant for the San Francisco 49ers in 2016. And this man is now the second year defensive coordinator on what has been one of the most electric and explosive defenses of the last two years. Uh, we saw again in this game against uh, uh, Sean McVay that these, these sh- the Shanahan defensive coordinators tend to be really dialed in on stopping this offense. They tend to be really, really good at stopping this Coaching tree, they kind of know how they want to get to their spots, know what the the plays are going to be, what the calls are going to be, third and long, and what what the tricks and the counters are, and they're they're pretty keyed in. That doesn't matter as much as it did a couple years ago, like when Robert Sala and Brandon Staley were being hired. This offense was a lot more similar across the league. It's kind of you know the Green Bay arc and the New York Jets arc and the Vikings arc and the Cleveland arc. They've all kind of split a little bit more, but it's still I think that fundamental idea is there: is that all these offenses want to generate explosives by throwing intermediate middle of the field. And the, the Shanahan defensive coordinator, Sala and now D'Amico, are so good at taking that away. There's, there's clearly a coaching development there, an interchange of information, Shanahan to the defensive staff and back, that hiring D'Amico just makes sense because you you attack this, this modern style of offense. You get a defensive coordinator who's really dialed in on the way that offense is done. And you also get a young guy. He's a super player-oriented dude. D'Amico was very recently playing. The players absolutely love him. He's going to give you kind of the energy you look for in the building when you bring in a new head coach. There's reason to be concerned. Like, Sala is a very good test case against in the sense that, like, hey, when you go, you don't get to bring Chris Koserek with you. Chris Kosarek's been coaching defensive line in San Francisco for as long as Kyle Shanahan's been there. Unbelievable Every single year of the four-man rush, the 49ers are. And that's a lot to do with the defensive line coach. Chris ain't leaving. Mike McDaniel tried to hire him. Come be my DC. Come be my assistant head coach. He did not leave San Francisco. Chris Kostrick would like to just coach the defensive line for the San Francisco 49ers every day until he dies. And I respect that immensely. So you don't get to bring Chris with you. You don't get to bring Nick. You don't get to bring Fred Warner, who's so imperative to the this, this defense works. You're going to play drop seven zone coverage. You better have a Mike linebacker who can run with Cooper cup and the Niners have maybe the only Mike linebacker in the league who can run with Cooper cup. So you don't get to bring some of the cornerstones. And and that's the scary thing about defensive coaches is they tend to take a couple of years to get their guys in the building, get everything coached right and kind of get the plane off the ground. Offensive coaches can be a little bit more spark, a little more flash in the plan, which is obviously exciting, but for D'Amico's sake, like they're playing Talano Hufanga, who's just on Un- freaking believable man is he
1: an all-pro i was thinking if you were making an all-pro team yes. after four games he, he's probably on it right i mean every week he's doing stuff
0: yes i love Hufanga coming out of that class so good it was injuries that they kind of dragged him down and then oh he's not like a cover guy he is if you can play top down and that's what they let you do in, the, in this this uh, defense look at every single hufanga highlight play through four weeks of the season he is never not coming forward. They just let him come off the roof. Just, all right, we're too high. And then rotate down to one. Two, I rotate down to one. And Hufanga is just a bullet, man. He is a missile. He's the little bullet in the Mario games. The, little, the black bullet with like the big grin. He's just coming to hit somebody on a straight line. He's awesome. So you have a player like Hufanga who, day three guy, fits a role. We're going to maximize this dude. Quan Williams is gone. Diamador Lenore in the slot. Day three guy, is secondary. Aziz Shair, Dre Greenlaw. Like, while, yes, you don't get to bring the cornerstones. When you hired D'Amico and you're worried, okay, can he get a four-man rush working without Kosarek? Can he get this this drop-seven zone work without Fred Warner? Look at a lot of the guys they've developed in the margins, man, in terms of, uh, you know, the list goes on. Emmanuel Mosley, you got Charles Amenehu in the building now, uh, you know, Arden Key, then Solomon Thomas, the guys that they kind of brought in and, and, and resuscitated, I... D'Amico knows how to get his guys into a spot. He just he he can get a player in the building, figure out what he's good at, and get him on the field doing it. And that is fundamental to being a good coach, offense or defense. I thought D'Amico should have been candidate one in the 2022 head coaching cycle. I think he's early doors candidate one in the 2023 head coaching cycle
1: boil down to what you're looking for i mean there's a lot of things i write a piece every week on you know how i would identify a head coach but when you have someone who has shown an ability to do more with less like he did last year when they had the fifth most injured defense in the nfl josh norman
0: playing football in 2021 man just unbelievable
1: i mean they couldn't play man coverage Think about if you told some of these defensive coordinators in the NFL who make excuses, hey, by the way, uh, man coverage is really not available to you because of the players we have out there and still go produce the top five defense. Well, that's what D'Amico Ryans did Last year, and now this year, you get Trevarius your Ward. You're getting some better health. They've got the best defense in the NFL, in my opinion. The statistics would say that that's true. They're first in EPA per drive. They're first in success rate. First in yards per play allowed. Yep. they And they just shut out the. I mean, you know, the Rams are not the same Rams that we saw last year, but still, they did not give up a touchdown in that game. And I think Ufanga is such a great example of what you're looking for from a coach. You know, look at their strengths and weaknesses, put them in position to succeed, and find the best. Version of every player that you have at your disposal. And I think he's certainly doing that. So I'm with you. Uh, you know, I, I covered D'Amico Ryan's when he was a player. You were what, kindergarten, right. second or third grade? Uh retirement. Like and uh yeah, he he was a beloved teammate. Uh, I remember he was on those Chip Kelly Eagles teams, and it was funny because I, I remember asking him once because Chip Kelly would always go on and I know oh, D'Amico, you know, he's Mufasa. He's in and, he, and I was like, D'Amico, you know, you and you and Chip seem to have a special sort of relationship here. And it was pretty clear that just like every coach that thought they had that relationship with D'Amico Ryan. He was just like the easiest guy to coach and a great leader and teammates loved him. So I'm with you. Yeah, he should absolutely be near at the top of the list if this continues, especially.
0: And to that point, like... Coaches love coaches. Players love players. Like, the football is a community. It's a brotherhood, absolutely. When a guy goes from defensive quality control in 2017, I gave him an extra year accidentally. It wasn't 2016. It was 2017. To inside linebackers coach 2018, 2019, 2020. To defensive coordinator 2021, 2022. In the same building. And remember, I just said Chris Kolsarek's like a wizard on the defensive line. Did not get the promotion. Which I don't even know if he wanted it. Again, Chris Kolsarek just wants to coach defensive line. But you get D'Amico over it. When a guy goes that fast through coaching... And from what I can tell, doesn't make any enemies. That's a special dude. You, there are a lot of veteran coaches who are not a fan of when these young guys jump up and you know big leaps and whatever they you know they they view it as an indictment on themselves that they were next in line for that role. They put in the hours. That guy didn't. I don't like. Nobody talks about D'Amico like that. Everybody's just like, "Yep, he should have been defensive coordinator after being a coach for four seasons." Unbelievable. And that, that speaks to the fact that I think you have a one of one personality here so uh this like 24 to 9 looks bigger than it was right like devo samuel catch a run touchdown what could have been a pick six the actual pick six from Hofunga, like it looks like the niners really controlled this game in general it's just like super slop fest Nine points for the Los Angeles Rams, seven sacks, turnover. That was the one thing in this game that wasn't an accident was the Niners' defense.
1: And they switched some stuff up. I mean, those blitzes in the first half, it's like you don't, you know, the, the book was you don't blitz Matthew Stafford. Well, their line's a little banged up. The 49ers typically don't blitz a lot. Well, guess what? They surprised them with a couple and got after them in the first half. All right, I'm with you there on your first take. I'm up here with my first take. John Harbaugh on Sunday again made the decision that gave his team the best chance to win. I know you guys talked about this a little bit in the reaction pod. I know people are saying, what are you talking about, Shield? Did you see what happened in that game? And I see it. For those who don't know, quick recap, 4-15 left in the fourth quarter. Game tied at 20. Ravens have a fourth and goal from the Bills' two-yard line. Harbaugh goes for it. Lamar Jackson throws an interception. The Bills drive the length of the field, kick the game-winning field goal. Harbaugh gets crushed for relying on analytics too much. We've seen this story play out over the past couple of years. And it's probably too on brand for me to be picking picking this as one of my things. I feel like I've written about it uh, at length over the years. But I think there's two things that we miss when we have these kinds of discussions. And number one is that coaches too often make decisions that delay losing rather than optimizing chances for winning. You know, if this were a situation where John Harbaugh would have just kicked the field goal and then the Bills drive and score a TD, nobody's crushing John Harbaugh. Everyone's saying, all right, he did the traditional thing, even though... The data would probably suggest that he didn't do the thing that optimizes winning, but he does it in an untraditional way, uh, in a very well thought out way. And so I think that's one thing that we have to keep in mind. And then the other thing is we have to judge these decisions based on the information we have at the time they are made. You can't, I mean, you don't, like if if they would have gone for it and made it, guess what? Phil Simms, Boomer Esiason, I don't even know who who was on CBS after no one saying, oh, wow, great, you know, great call by John Harbaugh there. And so it's like sometimes in the national scope, they wait for something to fail and then they rip it. So this instance in particular, what I like about Harbaugh is he explains these decisions, whether they work, or whether they didn't work. And so what information did he have at the time of his decision? Well, the Bills had just gone up and down the field on three of their previous four drives. He knew that if he kicked the field goal and the Bills scored a touchdown, he's losing the game. And he knows the win probability when an opponent is down three or an opponent is down seven. And you're saying, Shield, what what are you talking about? He's making that decision on the fly. The Ravens have an analytical model. They work through all this stuff beforehand. They have meetings during the week where they're planning for situations just like this. And some of the numbers would probably surprise uh, our listeners. You know, Mike McRoberts, who works for Championship Analytics, I asked him to, you know, pass over some of the data that he has. And it's not like complicated algorithms. It's just looking at this exact situation that Harbaugh was in. And then the team takes over the, when a team takes over like the bills and they're down by three with about four minutes left, they've won the game 41% of the time. When they're in that same situation, and they're down seven. They've won the game just 16% of the time. So this is like a big difference. So it's a risk reward calculation. These decisions are not easy. There's no simple answer. And what Harbaugh said after the game just sticks. Just really sticks with me. I was making the decision that I thought gave our team the best chance to win. He was He was doing that using data, using analytical models, using what he thought about his players, all those things. And you have to make a decision that, you know, it might be a 50-50 decision and the coach has to make the call. So I just feel like Ravens fans right now are probably, like, shoot, we've lost these two games this year. We've blown it in the fourth quarter. Don't get me wrong. There are are concerns there. But in terms of his decisions, I think Harbaugh over the long run has proven that he is going to give you an edge. I think he's the best in the NFL with his in-game decision making because it's so well thought out. And
0: I think he's going to continue to give them an edge in the future. What it always boils down to for me is this. I got poison ivy two weeks ago. We all know this. We all broke this down. We all made jokes about it. It was great.
1: I like where this is going. Yeah.
0: What was my mistake? Was it while I was pulling out the poison ivy, I didn't have like, you know, I didn't check to make sure my sleeve was tucked into my glove. And then I the poison ivy leaf ripped across the sleeve and it traced a line on my arm. And that was where the oil got and I didn't immediately wash. Or was it assuming for a second that I was enough of a capable person to remove poison ivy mm-hmm. in the first place and even showing up to the building. It feels like the second one, or excuse me, it, it feels like the, the, the first one. It feels like that later moment when I'm there pulling out the poison ivy and I make the error in execution. In reality, the first error, the far more egregious error, was not just hiring a man to bring a goat and the goat to eat the poison ivy, and then we never had to deal with this problem, which is a thing you can do that I learned. You just bring goats. Wait, is that a thing? Yes, you hire goats people and they bring their goats and they and like whenever you want to like do like massive amounts of landscaping because goats just eat everything so like oh you don't want to deal with like roto chilling an old garden bed and like pulling up all the old weeds goat you just hire a man he brings a goat for three hours the goat eats everything and then you're done it's amazing and then goat poop is fertilizer it's genius let me be clear here you could be totally making this up
1: and I would have no and idea. Google I, it! I, I believe you. No, I believe you because it would almost be too far-fetched to make up. But uh, that, I think you're right. right. Yeah, that, that self-awareness. Uh, wait, how does that relate to the Ravens again?
0: Yes, you got to let me finish. You got tied up on the GOATs. The GOATs threw me off, yeah. Right. What a tremendous luxury. What a wonderful thing to have the thi- the, the reason you're losing games be that your head coach in a one-score game in the fourth quarter against good opponents is making aggressive decisions you know why the panthers are losing games because Matt Rule doesn't know how the NFL works. You know why the Cardinals are losing games? Because Cliff Kingsbury doesn't know how to get personnel on the field. You know why the, the Rams lost to the 49ers? Because Sean McVay watched Allen Robinson highlights from 2015 and thought he could play X in the NFL in 2022. Let's go. How are, what, name any team. You want to know why the Raiders are losing games? Do you want to know why the, the Saints are losing games? So many coaches make so many horrendous decisions Sunday to Saturday, Monday to Friday, game preparation, offseason. In March, they're losing three games for their team because they're running personnel movements to their general manager, ownership's getting involved. The the, the myriad of ways that NFL teams have discovered to lose games for the dumbest freaking reasons. It's too vast to to contemplate. The the easiest things are left on the bone. Oh, and we get on Get Up on Monday morning and we talk about should John Harbaugh have gone for for seven instead of three? Because it's right there. It's right in front of us. It's right now. It feels like a thing we can control. It's evident. It's in our scope. It is... John Harbaugh is one of the five best coaches in the league. John Harbaugh was going for, for two point conversions last year with Tyler Huntley against the Packers, went for it against the, the, the Steelers, didn't get either one of them. And not for a moment did anybody in Baltimore go, we should change the way this guy coaches. We should think about getting a different head coach in here. He'll be the head coach in Baltimore for the next 10 years if he wants to be. It is just because it's right there and in front of us that we think we have to debate it and talk about it. What we should be talking about is... Uh, these other head coaches who will never hold a candle to what John Harbaugh does January to December 52 weeks of the year in terms of coaching the Ravens to be a consistent contending winning team in the NFL period
1: yeah that was well said and it's it's a it's again I have to emphasize it's a thought-out process it's not always going to work out but over the long run I think it's going to give them an edge and I I enjoyed all those different coaches just kind of catching astray from you during the John Harbaugh discussion This episode of the Ringer NFL show is brought to you by State Farm. All right, football fans, the good neighbors over at State Farm wanted me to let you know that you really don't have to get that personal to get the personal price plan. Seriously, there's no need to tell anyone that you still sleep in an old school pair of your team's pajamas or that you have a breakfast ritual on game days that you insist results in a win. You know, those people, they're way too attached to their high school sports glory days. They've got those weird superstitions with players on their fantasy teams. That's right. The State Farm Personal Price Plan simply helps you create an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com today to create your State Farm personal price plan. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. All right, what do you got for your second take?
0: All right. Speaking of, of, uh, the team didn't really lose a game, but they very well should have. Uh, We are officially in I am worried about the Green Bay Packers land which is odd to say after a win. However, when you re-realize that the win was a three-point overtime win against the Bailey Zappi-led New England Patriots, it kind of clarifies it. That was a disappointing performance from Green Bay. Uh, there are reasons to believe that Green Bay is going to pull this thing out of a tailspin. Uh, Dan Orlovsky on ESPN, wonderful talk through of how the Packers are generating explosive plays. There is vision there. There is thought there. I absolutely agree with that. However, to this point in the season, Green Bay is 14th right now in EPA per play. They're 18th in EPA per drop back. And almost uh, even more importantly, they're, they're 12th in EPA per rush. This team really, 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 really wanted to be able to be a running team early in the season. And you've seen a few offenses, Cleveland, Detroit, Seattle, Philadelphia, Arizona, not Arizona, uh, the, the, the Giants, Atlanta a little bit, generate good rushing attacks to buttress a passing attack that had weaknesses for most teams at quarterback. Green Bay put a lot of resources into saying we have a very good line and they're putting two backs on the field. They wanted to be a team that ran the ball really well in early downs. That's not working for them. The second thing that's concerning is that, yes, while the Packers still generate high explosive play rate, it's in part because the offense is play action design and they're trying to get down the field. It's also in part, and this is a little bit of like, you know, reading between the lines, but this is what we're doing here. It's also because it looks like Aaron Rodgers just doesn't really give a hoot, right? A lot of these downfield throws are like, very highly contested alan lazard and randall cobb targets which has never been how this matt lafleur era offense has worked that's not dissimilar to what we saw some with some of the Rodgers mccarthy offense where it was like slant flat slant flat three yard run right it was so 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 small and then eventually Rodgers would just lose patience with it and just chuck up a nine ball and because he's aaron rogers it kind of ends up working a little bit because it's so accurate he's such a good outside the numbers thrower But you don't have Devontae Adams anymore. So it's like Alan Lazard and it's Randall Cobb, and, and it feels very limited. They've not gotten their RPO game working at all. Their wide receiver screen, such an integral part of the offense last year, are really, really failing. This is a fragmented offense. We talk a lot about the siloing of the Bengals offense, how they're kind of one thing and then another thing. There's no connection. That's the Packers right now. There's no fluidity. There's no connection in this offense. So it's an average offense. Defensively, they are living by the the hair on their chinny chin chin right now man this packers defense is the definition of we're going to bend but not break they give up over six yards per play on first down the seventh worst number in the league they give up 5.88 yards per play on second down the 11th worst number in the league on third down they're giving up three yards per play it's the second best uh, pass attempts on first downs or pass attempts on third downs are converting at only 12 percent against this packers team it's the best number in the league this team just waits until they eventually stumble into a third down and then they actually start pitching this is a light box off cover zone quarters defense where you can get whatever you want against them on early downs and once you make the mistake then this defense can implement and that is unacceptable for the level of talent and investment that has been put in this defense there is money on Kenny Clark and on Devondre Campbell and on Jair Alexander. There are first round picks on Quay Walker and Darnell Savage and Ray Sean Gary. This is a highly paid for defense that hopes and waits that you screw up until they can stop you on third down. And for a team like the Patriots to go, all right, we'll run it for four yards with Ramondre Stevenson on every down and take you to overtime should be deathly terrifying. Because when you start to look in the NFC at some of these rushing attacks, Philadelphia, uh San Francisco we just saw last night yeah it, it does not feel like green bay is, is in any way shape or form solved the issues that prevented them from long term playoff runs in previous seasons and now they have more issues on offense i'm like okay it was nice they like beat the bears that was cute the bucks game was close and we saw the chiefs run like run all over pass all over dominate that defense and now they're in one score overtime game against the patriots the 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 packers feel very very shaky to me right now
1: yeah, I think I, I think I would agree with you for the most part. I, I was fading the Packers in the uh, in the preseason, and I didn't know how far I was willing to go with that. I still had them as a playoff team, but right. I can't remember if I brought up the armpit test here with you or on the Philly special pod. But let me explain it to the new listeners. That is, that is just the test of the opposing quarterback. Do they need to make sure they put on some of that anti-perspirant before the game? Or are they just going to be like, cool, I'm chilling during this game. Yeah, I don't really need to shower. Uh, I can go home right afterwards. And and that is my way of saying, like, what is your way of attacking the opposing quarterback? I don't feel like this Packers defense passes the armpit test. I feel like opposing offenses are pretty comfortable going up. They're, they're not like an aggressive get in your face. Like you said, they're a little more passive, a little more bend, but don't break. They've got talented right.
0: players. So don't get me wrong. I mean, if Kenny Clark and is... I brought up first round picks. I forgot one of my key points. You can run on this defense. They have a first round pick and defense tackle Devontae Wyatt, who does not play football right now. They can't get him on the field. So they have a massive issue right now in the interior stopping the run.
1: Yeah, I just don't didn't see a big upgrade from last year to this year, other than Jair Alexander, which is obviously uh, going to be a big one. So, yeah, I I see them as uh, going into the season, I thought, mediocre defense and probably uh, top 10 offense. And you're right, the offense hasn't looked the same. The offense has not been as consistent. They really have had two mediocre units so far. When you say panic, like, what is, you know, what was your initial take? You're you're ready to panic about the Packers or i'm like what does that mean you're scared for the packers as in what what's like the floor where if things keep continuing to go down this path what does it look like because i just sort of see them as still like a high floor team where they'll have those games against the bears uh but they're not necessarily going to be a a super bowl a super bowl team
0: uh have you peaked at lines for next week i have not okay Packers at home hosting the Giants. What do you think the line is?
1: Uh, in, that's the London game, right? That's a, uh, yeah, that's oh, a, yeah, yeah, that a London game? Yeah,
0: not actually a home game. Thank you for the save. London game, I would say eight. Is it seven and a half? You okay. think the Packers cover seven and a half against the Giants' triple option offense? I mean, I, I'm not big on the Giants' triple option offense, but I, 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 the the
1: Packers are a scary team to wager on because of the points you just made. I will give you that for sure.
0: And so you go and you start looking and you go, okay, they have the Giants, they have the Jets, they have the Commanders, right? And that's their next three games. Like, all right, sick. They're going to be able to settle the ship. They're going to be able to get right. And then they have the, the Bills, Lions, Cowboys, Titans, Eagles, Bears, Rams, Dolphins. It gets way, way, way tougher. You got three weeks to start very clearly beating the bad teams. Bailey Zappi led Patriots are bad team. Bears. Yeah. Hey, good, good win. Nice, you know, get the home opener, or whatever. Giants, Jets, Commanders. Giants are like not good on, they're 3-1, but they're not good on advanced metrics. There's three bad teams. Beat them. Look good on offense. Get your sea legs under you. If you can't, this gets so gnarly so fast. You... They'll lose to the Lions, man. The Lions are going to hang with their running game. They're going to hang 30 on this on this defense. You better be able to put up 35. And I don't know if this offense has that in them in terms of the passing game. And like I said, like the explosive plays. Yes, they are there, but they're very staggered. They're very haphazard. They're kind of just like Rogers off script. It does not feel sustainable. Uh, Like, let alone Bills, Eagles. Like, those are just some of the titans of the league. Now, all of a sudden, you're in a position where you're fighting with the Vikings in Week 17 for the division. And there's no reason for a team with this much talent to be in that spot.
1: Okay. I like it. Packers are on Ben's radar. All right. My next take. It looks to me like the Chiefs have figured out life without Tyreek Hill just four weeks Into the season. Now, let me give a give a little caveat. I'm not saying there's not going to be a game or two the rest of the way. Maybe in the playoffs, where you say, "Man, they really could use Tyreek Hill here." But what they did against the Bucks, who maybe had the best defense in the NFL through three weeks to go up and down the field. I mean, Patrick Mahomes was treating that game like it was the Super Bowl. His intensity, his enthusiasm on the sideline, they had everything working. They had Mahomes in structure. They had Mahomes out of structure. They had the run game. How about the run game? 189 rushing yards. That's the most against a Bucs defense since Todd Bowles got to tampa and so they had that they had the andy Reid red zone calls i know you uh you just like the the run game in the red zone but i like andy reed being a little creative in the red zone with uh mm-hmm. w- w- with patrick mahomes pointing over to the left side andy's and has been
0: doing it for long enough that andy gets to do it yeah. he wants andy's outside of my, my criticism for red zone
1: chicanery all right so so that was beautiful um i'm just looking at it and they're creating explosive plays They're using different personnel groupings. The run game is a little more varied than it's been in the past. And it's just so impressive to me that four games into this Chiefs version 2.0, you're putting up a performance like that against a fantastic defense on the road. And so things have really set up for them well through the first four weeks. I mean, they gave gave away that Colts game in week three. That's a game, if you play it 100 times, they probably win it 99 times. And that was the other one. And the AFC West is not as good as I thought it was going to be going into the season. To me, they're clearly in the driver's seat. And I guess it's just another reminder that, like, It's going to be Mahomes and Reed. The other pieces can change. We saw them remake their entire offensive line last offseason. Then this offseason, they remake their skill group and they're getting contributions from Valdez Scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster and and all these different guys. And Kelsey is still Kelsey. And so uh, I just feel like that game Sunday night, you know, we sort of just kind of take the Chiefs for granted sometimes. And that was one of the best performances you will see against specifically a Bulls coach defense. And and I think they deserve a lot of credit for
0: that. Yeah. Steven and Nora on the recap show, I thought had a wonderfully, wonderful, wonderfully like they uh, discussed and exactly correct take on this, which was the Chiefs very clearly came into the season and said, okay, we can't be in a spot like we were last year, where defenses start forcing us to be something that we haven't been yet. They start forcing us to be short passing game, quick stuff, ball out right now. What you've seen from, we talked about this in the week two one where I did the Bills and the Chiefs, the Velociraptors have machine guns thing. You know, they, they, they this is a quick passing game now. They have the ability to distribute. They have the ability to get to second and five kind of whenever they want. And even independent of trading away Tyreek Hill, which obviously is a move in that direction, they very clearly entered the season and said, listen, if we drop... A week three game against the Colts. We drop a week three game against the Colts. We got to make sure we know how to do this. We have to do it in live Sunday reps. and we have to see what the changes are in a second half from an opposing defense and we have to adjust to it. And that way when we get to the 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 playoff time and we start to we we go face the Bills. Bills never blitz. Rush four, drop seven. Played blanket zone coverage. We've seen it. When we get the Bengals the AFC divisional round and they're running their drop eight stuff again, and more drop eight in the second half against Mahomes than any single team in any individual game in the last however many years, whatever. We've seen it. We we know our buckets. We know how to get to our spots. So there's a there's an, an intention to that. That's really cool to see grow week over week over week. Because like they were so bad running against the Colts, and then they just came back and said, "All right, let's tweak this. Let's get that. Yeah, block this up this way. Boom, and then we're good." And it's just you just kind of feel them kind of checking some boxes on a checklist. of like, "Okay, we can do this against these fronts. Let's make sure we do it again." And we know what we have and we know whatever. And then all of a sudden, if in week 19, week 20, we need to pull this rabbit out of the hat, we've been here before. That's Planning for January. And when you're a team that's this good, I, I respect that approach.
1: Yeah. It doesn't mean that they're going to run for hundred and eighty nine yards every week. Uh it doesn't mean that they're even going to try to run the ball every week. But I think you nailed it there. They want um the the, the different clubs in the bag, the different tools in the what's your what's your preferred way to say this? Tools in the I like I like tools box? in the tool chest. I
0: like, I like tools, tools in the, tool, in the chest. tool
1: chest. I'm not a big tools guy, as you might have guessed.
0: Yeah. I also also big on arrows in the quiver. I like have a lot of arrows okay. in the quiver. Different arrows in the quiver. Arrows.
1: I could get into that. Yeah, I I think I would be more apt to do an Arrows in the Quiver uh, if there's something to incorporate goats, as you said before. That might be something we can work on here in the future. All right. you got to Google it, man. It's so cool. (laughs) Give me your next take.
0: I went out on a limb for the Las Vegas Raiders a couple weeks ago, and that was bad. I still watch that team, and I'm like, all right, maybe, but I'm not going to do that again because they did not pay me off. The Atlanta Falcons. (laughs) This is the take. The Atlanta Falcons are going to be an NFC wildcard team by the end of the season. Now. Okay. They beat the Seahawks and they beat the Browns. Uh, uh, one possession wins in both of those. They have their one-point loss to the Saints and they have their four-point loss to the Rams. They have been close in every game. They've been tight in every game. The Rams game, obviously, like the blocked punt was kind of a little bit of an aberration, but they very well could be 3-1. and one. They very well could be 1-3. and three. They're a little bit of a coin flip team right now. However... Arthur Smith came from Tennessee and, and so much of, of what Smith did in Tennessee was all right. Like Derrick Henry, 11 personnel play action, midfield. field. It's, it's like the Sean McVay stuff. And it was broad strokes, but the thing about it that was unique to Smith who remember never coached under McVay, never coached under Shanahan was that they just had big dudes like Tennessee. with have Vrabel, you know, John Robinson, GM. And then Arthur Smith as the office coordinator. They just had enormous AJ Brown, Derrick Henry. They were just, Big football team and he came to an Atlanta team that was not big what well, was left with him from Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn was not big and there needed to be a, a, a meeting in the middle there needed to be a reckoning with that and their running game they tried to get it going a lot of times last year they'd have games where they just kind of ran themselves into a wall this running game has gotten to the point where they they, they needed to be they found their meeting in the middle Cordell Patterson on IR, which is worrisome, but the offensive line's playing well. They've figured out a way to get fullbacks on the field, get their extra tight ends on the field. The uh, the Hesse guy who never leaves the field is a great blocker for them. They've got no name back now, right? Like Tyler Algier or Caleb Huntley. There's pulling dudes off practice squad, plug and chug, 5.6 yards a carry. This, this running game now has become their under center. They're in the pistol. They have a fullback. They're motioning a tight end. They have found the notes that work for this offense. And that is the core of everything that they do. They then get into their play action passing game, which has been. Great for them. They're sixth right now in play action uh, total passing attempts. They're sixth in yards per attempt. They're third in air yards to the sticks, averaging four point five air yards to the sticks. Their average play action pass attempt goes five yards further down the field than the line to gain. Right, they're averaging eleven point nine six yards per attempt. It's fourth. So they've they've we have our running game. And we have our downfield play action passing game. The core of the Falcons is good. The reckoning is coming. you have got no Cordell Patterson. They've got the Buccaneers this upcoming week, the Niners the week following, and then the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think that they're going to take one on the chin. I think they're going to lose to the Bucs. I think that those defenses are going to be good. But I think it's going to force them to figure out what they need to do at quarterback because Marcus Mariota has not been good for them this season, most recently against the Browns. Seven for 19, 139 yards and a pick. He's not bringing anything in the running game. Five carries for three yards. Mariota through four weeks has been a detriment to the team. They have a quarterback who can point and shoot and play action on the roster, and it's Desmond Ritter. This is what Ritter did well at Cincinnati. This is what, this is what worked for him. You're going to have Kenny Pickett playing. You're going to see Bailey Zappi out there. The rookie quarterbacks are starting to play. And if Atlanta loses some of these games right now, tough defenses, Bucks, Niners, Bengals, and they're forced to do a quarterback switch, they get Panthers, Chargers, Panthers, Bears, Commanders, Steelers, Saints. These are defenses you can run the football on. If they put the rookie in there and they rely on this running game, I think the Falcons are good enough to be a 9-8 and eight team and a wild card team. But these next three weeks are really important because they could either win some of these games, be a better team than I thought, ride with Mariota, playoffs. They could lose some of these games, switch out Mariota, get Ritter in there, and I think they can make the playoffs. They can lose some of these games and leave Mariota in there. And that would be the big sin. You have to be willing to make the quarterback change that your team needs. So the Falcons of the next three weeks, watch what they are in the running game, and then watch what they do at quarterback the Desmond Ritter drum <laughs> beat starts here.
1: I was trying to decide, are you just picking them to make the playoffs or picking Desmond Ritter to replace Mariota and make the playoffs? But
0: you get it if they make the playoffs. The take is that they, they are a wild card team. Okay. And then the path is I think they 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 run into some good run defenses. They realize it's not enough and they decide to make the quarterback change.
1: The Falcons right now have a top 10 e- offense in terms of EPA per drive. And so I will give them credit for what they've done through the first four weeks of the season, fourth in success rate because they're they're run run, yes. run 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 play action shot. Yeah.
0: So they they stay very nicely ahead of the sticks.
1: This this looks completely unsustainable to me as I look no. at the as I look at the Falcons. Marcus, you mentioned Marcus Mariota, seven completions. In that game, they ran the ball 35 times. That's good. You do what you have to do to win the game. I don't think that's gonna work. Uh, most weeks. Marcus Mariota, I mean, I wish I loved anything as much as he loves fumbling in the fourth quarter. I mean, has it been every week? Every time they go to red zone in the three o'clock to four o'clock hour, Marcus Mariota is fumbling. And so, and and just the still his style of play, the hits he takes when he's involved in the run game or just trying to evade pressure. Like I have big questions about whether he can stay healthy for the whole season. Now, maybe if if Ritter comes in and is, is he going to be an above average starting quarterback right away? I mean, if if
0: like Arthur Smith... Don't, don't need above average. I need average. Competent? I need average. I don't
1: even know. I think that to me even
0: feels like a stretch for a guy does to come Does he in. know where number eight is? Can he find the big guy wearing eight? I and hope somebody the does.
1: Where yeah, is that guy? I don't know. If you find that, yeah. brother, we're
0: good. They have not scored a touchdown <laughs> on a play-action pass yet. They're 0 for 2. Their only bad play action stat is they're 0 for 2 on uh, a play, uh, touchdown to interception ratio. Mariota's three touchdowns to four interceptions to passing. They do not have a passing game, when they get into the tight areas. And Mariota's yeah. not going to find that. He's never had that in his career. You, you just—I yeah, promise you, man—just get the rookie in and get through the lumps. He'll be able to get this offense to a point where it's okay, oh, it's 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 floating. It's okay. It's good enough to ride through that back half of the schedule. Didn't even bring up the defense, which is honestly playing pretty good ball. Like, you know, they're, they are limited, but, A.J. Terrell, Michael Walker, Richie Grant, get ready, Jerry. They have enough dudes to win some of these games against bad teams. The Falcons can run. They just got to make the quarterback change.
1: I, I still see one of the least talented defenses uh, in the NFL. Uh, so corner is fine. And it's, I mean, the pass rush. We'll see. Watch you some Michael Walker, baby. Young man can play. I Listen, I like the take. It's a good take. I need to start making my third take be a little uh, prediction for the future. I like that you did that. So they would have to beat out one of the following teams, either the Cowboys or the Vikings or 49ers or Rams.
0: Actually, they'd have to beat out two of those teams, right? Yeah. Well, yes. But that's the thing is like the teams that you just named, I don't find particularly scary. Okay. Right? Like I, right. the NFC to me is, is very, very fragile. Also, like, yes, I agree for the wild card. They're two and two, Tampa's two and two. So I'm predicting wild card, but also oh, let's stop. get the driver's Settle seat in the down. division, baby. Settle Tampa's down. Tampa's offense sucks. It's oh so bad. Gosh. Get Grady Jarrett, baby. Big Grady Jarrett game. Ooh, hold up. Smell test. Go ahead. Sniff those pits. Now, your bits. Feet, toes. Come on. Ugh. Could be fresher, right? It's all good. Old Spice Total Body Deodorant Spray is
1: gentle enough to use all over your body, giving you 24-7 lasting freshness with daily use,
0: from pits to toes and down below. So every smell test gets a... (sighs) shop for Old Spice, total body deodorant.
1: My third take, this one isn't really going out on a limb, but I'm trying to say the extreme to which it might go. I think things are about to snowball and get really ugly for the Indianapolis Colts. And I've said I found the Colts, you know, boring. But if you just look at this team and the first four weeks of the season, how poorly they are playing. And it's not just this last week, the loss to the Titans. I know they came back and it was a one score game. Their minus 28-point differential is the worst in the AFC. Worse than the Jets. Worse than, I mean, whoever you think the worst teams are in the AFC. Sorry, Jets. I know you won a game. I didn't mean to hit you there. But, you know, I just look at them. Matt Ryan has fumbled nine times. Three more than any other player. This is from The Athletic, Zach Keeper. How about this stat? They've been down by at least 17 points in every game this season. I mean, how is this thing going to get fixed? They're showing all the signs of a just a, a train wreck of a team. They traded for a 37-year-old pocket passer. They gave him a below average offensive line and a below average group of pass catchers. There was a snap I remember in last week's game where like Matt Pryor uh and Quentin Nelson don't handle the stunt well. And Matt on a sack, a late third down sack with the game on the line. And Matt Ryan's like yelling at Matt Pryor, like, dude, this is out of Matt Pryor's control. Matt Pryor should not be in this spot where he's your starting level tackled for a team that has notions of making the playoffs and so all these things i see i saw Naheem hines had some quotes about yeah you know the titans have had some stability at quarterback we have a new guy every year so it's hard to kind of figure out uh you know what to do we have this kind of growth period in september i'm seeing all those things shaquille leonard was back he got a concussion this is a huge game for the colts thursday night against the denver broncos it's a big game for both those teams. But I just don't see a path for the Colts. Like in past seasons, they've gotten off to some slow starts and maybe they'll turn it around and this will look like a really stupid take. Two months from now? But from where I sit, they look like one of the worst teams in the entire NFL. Their offense is 32nd, I believe, in EPA per drive. Their defense played well in the second half last week. But let's be honest, on a week-to-week basis, that defense is not scaring anyone. It's going to be the most vanilla, the most predictable defense in the NFL when they don't have Shaquille Leonard who do they have uh, aside from a couple defensive linemen? And so uh, whether it's talent, coaching, Matt Ryan being older than we I mean, all these things adding up. I just have a feeling if they lose this game Thursday night against the Broncos, and I don't know where it ends. I mean, we've seen Jim say he'll be outside his private jet. Who's he going to be ripping? I don't know. Are changes coming in the offseason? I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but just watching that team through four weeks, I feel like the consensus might be that, oh, they've gotten some bad breaks. Hey, they beat the Chiefs. You know, they've still got
0: time. I see a team that, quite frankly, might just stink. Can I shoehorn in one of my larger and simply nerdiest takes into this Colts discussion? Yeah. So sports, momentum, real or not real? Um,
1: I, I, I don't have a strong take on that one, honestly. I'm not right. like all the way with the nerds or all the way with the yes
0: real. So ex-physics major Ben hopping in, momentum isn't real, but inertia is. Team inertia in a game, in a season, is very real.
1: Physics major, I had no idea. Right,
0: momentum is... What is the motion? How fast is the motion? How dynamic is the motion? Where is it headed? Inertia is an object's tendency to resist changes in motion. If something is not moving, it wants to stay not moving. If something is moving, it wants to stay moving. The Colts are inert. It's the, it's the best word for them. Is they 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 got some good draft picks. That Andrew Luck you know retired. It was a weird situation, and they said, okay, we have to be patient. We have to time this out right. We have to get franchise quarterback correct. We have to make sure the team's ready for a franchise quarterback. And then they did that for four years. And now, and now there's just no juice. There's no push, right? Like no juice. That's what I wrote down. No juice to this team at all. Right. Why would Naeem Hines believe that this year will be different? He has no evidence to the contrary. And, and you, I, listeners, uh, you know, NFL media as outsiders might be able to argue and be like, well, we've seen Stafford to the Rams, and we've seen Manning to the Broncos, and like you can get a veteran in here, and it can juvenile. Like, I, I talked about Ryan this year. It was all about rejuvenation. It was all about a spark. It was all about breaking out. Like, it can happen. But why would Naeem Hines believe it can? Because he's been there, and it hasn't. And that's what makes you inert. Is like, you know, OK, you can say like all oh, the vibes are so much better. Like, you know, Wentz was banged up last year, the foot injury in camp. And Matt is just a professional. He's teaching the guys on the field. Like, it's just so much better than it was. And that's great until the chips are down. And then it, you've been here so many times before. Why would you believe it's going to get better? In the same way that like championship teams, Tom Brady ball gets the ball down eight with four minutes left. And you're like, yeah, he's going to score because he's inert he has inertia he has been doing this for so long that he's just probably going to tend to keep doing this there's belief that is very very real in NFL circles and for Indianapolis and I I always feel bad because I've I've talked about Ballard I've talked about this team so much I've been critical of Ballard for a long time but it's just they've they're mired they are stuck in this muck that like even if things were to get better how fragile it would feel how uncertain how 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 unclear it would be to the players who have been in Indianapolis for so long that this is what it really is supposed to be because they've never seen it before. They've never had it. they never participated in it. And so it like you take another team and you give them the exact same starts as the Colts, miscommunications, tons of fumbles, whatever, and you're like, all right, maybe they can get out of it, whatever, whatever. But for India, it just feels so fraught. It feels so destined because this is what they do. They bring in a veteran quarterback, they're exciting in August, and then by October, they're not interesting anymore.
1: Yeah. All right. What do you have for your extra point? Finish us
0: off. Extra point uh, this week. I was uh, uh, fun. I try to do like you know like some nice you know uh, exciting good vibes things uh, when I okay. do my extra point. And so, Geno Smith, man, this is just awesome, right? Like leading wow. the league completion percentage over expectation. Uh, you know, uh, through four weeks, completing almost 80 percent of his passes, one of the first quarterbacks to ever do so while still pushing the ball down the field. It's really, really, really cool to see. I'm going to talk about Geno and kind of how that offense works on the play sheet. Ringers YouTube. Go check it out. Drops on Thursdays. What's up? The one thing about the Geno experience in Seattle that really, really is exciting for me and I think deserves a, a clear statement is that he is running the Shane Waldron offense, who's an ex-Sean McVay offensive coordinator, and there's under center play action, wide zone, in breaking routes, and it's the same offense we've seen, many different iterations, many different wrinkles, but the same offense we've seen for so many years prop up quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo and and, and Jared Goff, and we kind of know, Baker Mayfield, we kind of know that the quarterbacks who look really good statistically in this offense have a limit on their ceiling. They're probably not going to be that much better quarterbacks, not going to be, Team elevators. But critically, the quarterbacks who have the traits that work that offense, he's a good pocket manager, gets the ball out crisply. He's a smart guy, he's accurate. He understands how, how, how the offense is supposed to work. He's cerebral. Are very typically attributed to white quarterbacks. This offense has almost invariably been run through white quarterbacks with white backups because those are the cerebral pocket managers. And black quarterbacks are the guys who run around. And they make mistakes in the pocket, and they hold on to the football, and they try to be athletes, and that's been an issue. It's been a stereotype in quarterback evaluation for a long, long time. And like Russ, absolutely plays that way, played that way in this offense, and that's just always been Russ's play style. However, Gino, and when he was with the Giants, and when he was a backup in in Seattle, was very clearly a good pocket manager, a cerebral quarterback, an accurate guy with a quick trigger who would execute the offense the way that it's given. And it is important and valuable to see a black quarterback run this offense because while yeah they run read option with gino and he had a rushing touchdown against the lions and yada yada whatever gino five step drops rhythms and throws that thing the same way jimmy does and the same way kirk does but if we have a black quarterback running this offense from the pocket running this west coast you know you kind of just out there point and shoot you are the the cyborg you are the robot executing this offense it is to the benefit of the evaluation of black quarterbacks do you know who else could run this offense Teddy. And Tyrod and a lot of the black quarterbacks who have floated around in the league as backups for a while, they could get the same boost that this offense has given a lot of white quarterbacks over the course of the last five years. And so there are so many reasons to love what Gino's doing in Seattle. It's exciting. I can't wait to talk about it on Thursday. Like it's just cool that this is a thing that can happen. Like nobody like we all kind of thought maybe it'd be good, but this is really cool. But one of the best and most heartwarming parts of it is that it is another drop in an ocean of incremental change on a stereotype around black quarterbacks that simply must be done shout out to gino shout out to shane waldron shout out to that seahawks offense
1: well said 555 yards 27 first Healthy, downs. He was oper- <clears throat> i mean not only operating from the pocket but some of those throws taking a huge hit in the pocket and still delivering
0: uh on time as a play i put up on my timeline that was gumption baby i mean that that yeah. was that he had some Unbelievable hangs in the pocket against the Lions. Really cool.
1: I thought it, Yeah, I'll be yeah. honest. I thought it was going to be a one-week feel-good thing in uh, Week One. And the Seahawks have a top-five offense here through the first month of the season in the post Russell Wilson era. Very well said. Good uh, extra man. You're raising the bar on the extra point taken. I'm really have to going to have to give it some thought. Yeah,
0: I feel like because it's the extra point, you have to like you're you you're to doing to like a, a different... sports
1: reporters or like a sixty admin. Yeah, yeah, you're bringing some real
0: journal. I like it. It's good. You got You got to give it a different angle. It can't be like, oh, the Panthers should probably trade Brian Burns, which they freaking should get my man out of Carolina. <laughs> All right. That'll be mine
1: next week. All right. Uh, I'm hosting the Thursday show. Let me give the plug once again, the scramble. If you want to get a mailbag question in, email the scramble mailbag at gmail.com. That's the scramble mailbag at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you Tuesday on this feed. You'll get the power rankers, Jason Goff, and Austin Gale, and on Wednesday, Nora Princiati on the island. Ben, did you have a plug? You were raising your hand.
0: I, I was going to say, I, I just remembered like last play week, I, I asked for people to email me last week at the end of the show yeah. um, because you asked for people to email the scramble. And I received a series of wonderful emails. Thank you to everybody who emailed me. It was extremely kind. Wow. I, I appreciate a lot of them. If I haven't responded to yours yet, it's because yours was, was quite long or required me to look something up. And I was like responding to them while I was eating breakfast the other day. Uh, and so I didn't have a chance to look something up, but I promise I'll respond. That was very sweet. I, I said it as a joke and, and to get the email today was very heartwarming. So thank you.
1: I also got some emails because people said, you know what, uh, Ben gave out his. <laughs> and so now I know what the email convention is for uh, Ringer and Spotify <laughs> yeah, employees. I, so I was able it, to figure it out. That's okay. Listen, I, I, I like to interact with the, uh, what should we call them? The, we, I, the EPT heads, I was going to say, but my wife alerted me that EPT is a pregnancy test. So I don't know. That corner might is already it? be taken and we might not want to have our listeners be called the EPT heads. But hey, we've got time to
0: figure that out. It's the only place kickers? Because they're the ones who participate in the extra point? The holders? The long snappers. I'm still thinking about the goats. I got to find myself a goat man. All right,
1: let's wrap it up. All right. Thank you to Chris Sutton for producing additional production supervision by Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramgopal. We will talk to you next week on the Ringer NFL.